And to be perfectly frank, there have been times when members or leaders in the church have simply made mistakes. There may have been things said or done that were not in harmony with our values, principles, or doctrine. Brothers and sisters, stay in the boat. Use your life jackets. Hold on with both hands. Avoid distractions. Give Brother Joseph a break. Some have asserted that more members are leaving the church today and that there is more doubt and unbelief than in the past. This is simply not true. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has never been stronger. How can homosexual members of the church... First, I want to change the question. There are no homosexual members of the church. Questions are honored, but opposition is not. I think we'd also have to be honest. There may be some of these questions that there is no answer to. Yes. Those are going to be the ones we avoid. Doubt your doubts. Welcome to another episode of the Cognitive Dissidents Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. Grateful for the chance to be in front of you today talking about a subject that we find within religions, but we also find it in the world at large. And it's the idea of doublespeak. Now, doublespeak is language that deliberately obscures, disguises, distorts, or reverses the meaning of words. Doublespeak may take the form of euphemisms, in which case it primarily is meant to make the truth sound more palatable. It may also refer to intentional ambiguity in language or to actual inversions of meaning. In such cases, doublespeak disguises the nature of the truth. Doublespeak is most closely associated with political language. So that's the Wikipedia definition of doublespeak. And and I want to pay attention to that idea that it may refer to intentional ambiguity in language, that it may make the truth sound more palatable, and then I want you to think about like where we see this within religions. And I think primarily you'll see two, two real ways in which this shows up. And, and I'll give you a couple of examples in Mormonism as we get into this. But the first one is that you will have multiple authorities within a church contradicting each other. But without the church really stepping in and saying, one person's right or the other person's right. And it could be on very serious issues. So, for instance, if you look at Catholicism and you look at some of the things that Pope Francis has done over the duration of his tenure as the Pope. And and so, like, look at some of the positions he has held on the- theological ideas. Um, ideas like his position with LGBT folks and not trying to make it a make-or-break issue for the church and comparison with popes before him in, in certain liberal perspectives that he's held and talked about. And in the, in the exact same moment, his entourage behind him 
trying to rephrase or re-impose what it was he was trying to say. And, and so what you see is this leader who's trying to push the boundaries and push for Catholicism to be more inclusive, at least in some ways. Meanwhile, you have others either in the past who held the position before him or in the very given moment with those who come right behind him talking to the media who are trying to maintain like, no, 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 we're not changing. No, 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 this this is the same. No, 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 we're good here. And you see this happen in all religions, but in high-demand fundamentalist religions, you see it most prevalent. And so pointing back at Mormonism, for instance, most uh, Mormons will remember this segment from the April 2017 General Conference, but I think anybody listening from any faith will be able to pick out the doublespeak. So here it is. We live in a time of great trouble and wickedness. What will protect us from the sin and evil so prevalent in the world today? One of the ways Satan wants us to manipulate others is by dwelling upon and even exaggerating the evil in the world. Certainly our world has always been and will continue to be imperfect. For too many innocent people suffer because of circumstances of nature as well as from man's inhumanity. The corruption and wickedness in our day are unique and alarming. But in spite of all this, I wouldn't trade living in this time with any other time in the history of the world. We are blessed beyond measure to live in a day of unparalleled prosperity, enlightenment, and advantage. Most of all, we are blessed to have the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which gives us a unique perspective on the world's dangers and show us how to either avoid these dangers or deal with them. So these were both on the same day, about an hour and a half apart from each other, in talks given by Mormon church leadership. And, and one is emphasizing that we just, man, the, the world is such a, such a bad place. Such a horrible place. And, and there's a reason religions give that message because it compels members of that religious faith to look inward at the authorities to keep them safe and to not trust voices out in the world and to not be, to not feel safe exploring diverse ideas out in the world because it's so easy in a world that's as bad as today's world is to be deceived by the adversary. Like there's so many religious mechanisms in place when you tell people inside your group how the world is getting worse and worse and worse. And then this leader, Dieter F. Uchtdorf, President Uchtdorf, who's a member of the First Presidency, and the first voice you heard was Thomas S. Monson, who's the president of the church. And and President Uchtdorf is President Monson's counselor. They they work closely together. And yet you see this different message. What Elder what President Uchtdorf is pointing at is a completely separate concept, which is that when we look at the data, the world is becoming a better place. Poverty 
is down compared to where it was 500 years ago. um, Education is up. More people are educated than 500 years ago. Healthcare is better. Literacy is better. Like if we look at 150 different indicators of how healthy and developed a society or the world as a whole is, most of those indicators point at a world that is becoming a better place. And so you have one church leader who's saying, like, look at the data, folks. The world isn't getting worse. It's actually getting better. And yes, there's problems, but but the world is not becoming a worse and worse place. But that's very contrary to this other message. And And so you have to ask yourself, like, why have two messages? Because only one is true. And I don't mean just President Monson versus President Uchtdorf. Rather, I'm saying that there are multitude of leaders within Mormonism, as well as many other religions, and especially in high-demand fundamentalist faiths, where the messages are mixed, they're competing ideas, only one can be true, and yet the religion really doesn't want to really have a conversation about which is and which isn't because both messages appeal to certain groups. And so for Latter-day Saints who are very rigid, black and white, Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints is the only true church. It's only safe inside here. These are the only authorities I can trust. President Monson and all the other leaders who talk about how horrible the world is becoming are giving a message that will keep those folks comfortable and loyal. And then President Uchtdorf, on the other hand, is appealing to the growing liberal segment of the Mormon membership, where he's giving a message that says, I know everybody else tells you this, but for the record, the world isn't so bad, and lots of things are getting better and better in this world, and there's no better time to be on the earth than right now. And... That message also appeals to a segment who, who are finding Mormonism problematic or more complex than they had thought. There's a desire on some level to perhaps step back or distance themselves from the faith. But then this progressive leader stands up and he says something in, in that segment, which is growing, says, Oh my goodness, there's hope. They're beginning to catch on. They're beginning to go this other direction. But the reality is having one liberal message among a bunch of other conservative messages while appealing to different groups is, is on some level perhaps unintentional, but on another level perhaps intentional. That it soothes and appeases. There's something that soothes and appeases everyone. And you find this even in the same talks. And when when I came across this one, I believe it's Jonathan Streeter who shared it with me. Jonathan Streeter operates a blog, Thoughts on Things and Stuff, and he goes by the moniker of Thinker of Thoughts. And he sent this to me, and it it blew my mind. Because I think we all expect double speak within an institution. I think that's that's relatively normal. It's going to happen. And there's reasons why it happens, and some of those mechanisms are unhealthy. And we're talking a little bit about that. But we generally don't expect doublespeak to be blatant out of the same mouth within within moments within a talk. 
But here is Elder D. Todd Christofferson, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve. And, and I want you to pay particular attention to the rhetoric he uses around those outside of Mormonism who perform a certain behavior and those within Mormonism who perform that same behavior and what gets a positive connotation to it and what gets a negative. Here's Elder Christofferson. About three years ago, a member of the church shared a copy of the Book of Mormon with an Amish friend in Ohio. The friend began to read the book and could not put it down. For three days he had no other desire but to read the Book of Mormon. He and his wife were baptized, and within seven months there were three Amish couples converted and baptized members of the church. Their children were baptized several months following. These three families decided to remain in their community and continue their Amish lifestyle, even though they had left the Amish faith. However, as a result of being baptized, they were subjected to shunning by their close-knit Amish neighbors. Shunning means that no one in their Amish community will talk to them, work with them, do business with them, or associate with them in any way. This includes not just friends, but family members, brothers and sisters, parents, and grandparents. Initially, these Amish saints felt very alone and isolated, as even their children were subjected to shunning and removed from their Amish schools because their their baptism and membership in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Their children have endured shunning by grandparents and cousins and close neighbors. Even some of the older children of these Amish families who did not accept the gospel will not talk to or even acknowledge their parents. These families have struggled to recover from the social and economic effects of shunning, but they are succeeding. Their faith remains strong. The adversity and opposition of shunning has caused them to be steadfast and immovable. A year after being baptized, the families were sealed in the temple and continue continue faithfully attending the temple on a weekly basis. They found strength through receiving ordinances and entering into and honoring covenants. They're all active in their church group and continue searching for ways to share the light and knowledge of the gospel with their extended families and community through acts of kindness and service. Yes, the cost of joining the Church of Jesus Christ can be very high, but the admonition to prefer Christ above all others, even our closest family members, applies also to those who may have been born in the covenant. Many of us became members of the Church without opposition, perhaps as children. The challenge we may confront is remaining loyal to the Savior and His Church in the face of parents, in-laws, brothers or sisters, even children, whose conduct, beliefs, or choices make it impossible to support both him and them. It's not a question of love. We can and must love one another as Jesus loves us. As he said, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. But the Lord reminds us, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So although familial love continues, relationships may be interrupted, and according to the circumstances, even support or tolerance at times suspended for the sake of our higher love. 
And in reality, the best way to help those we love, the best way to love them, is to continue to put the Savior first. If we cast ourselves adrift from the Lord out of sympathy for loved ones who are suffering or distressed, then we lose the means by which we might have helped them. If, however, we remain firmly rooted in faith in Christ, we're in a position both to receive and to offer divine help. If, or I should say when the moment comes, that a beloved family member wants desperately to turn to the only true and lasting source of help, he or she will know whom to trust as a guide and a companion. In the meantime, with the gift of the Holy Ghost to guide, we can perform a steady ministry of lessening the pain of poor choices and binding up the wounds insofar as we're permitted. Otherwise, we serve neither those we love nor ourselves. So here you have him showing sadness, showing sympathy, showing understanding for how painful and sad and unfortunate it is that these this Amish community shunned these folks who had who had left the Amish faith and had joined Mormonism and he and he uses words in a way that that he's he's helping the entire group of people listening to him speak like have this compassion for how unfair this was and and how sad it is that they were treated this way and then he follows that right up with the idea that we Mormons, when someone is outside of the tribe in their behavior, that the right thing to do is to disconnect from them, or better said, to shun them. And, and so you say like, why would we have these kinds of mechanisms? Like, what purpose does double speak serve? And in this case, it, it serves to in some way like, like this behavior is inappropriate outside the church, but our church is true. Therefore, the behavior is appropriate inside the church. Um, sometimes two double speak can be used in a way that says like these messages are really tough to interpret. Sometimes this behavior is right. Sometimes this behavior is wrong. You need to listen to us to know when it is which. Like trust the authorities. We'll tell you when it's okay and when it isn't. And so you'll see that kind of mechanism come up within uh, religious faith. And I think sometimes, too, it's almost a, a schizophrenia. It's almost this split personality disorder or some other kind of mental illness where your logic and reason on an instance outside of your own tribe, you can see the rationale. But when you're looking at that same behavior inside your tribe, like you'll figure out some way in your brain to make sense of it and for it to be okay. And our brains do that. We've, we've gone into subjects like confirmation bias on this podcast, the backfire effect, uh, belief persistence is another one. And these mechanisms will cause us to complete an entirely new rationale when dealing with behaviors inside our tribe. So to move on a little bit, let's talk about some of the other ways this shows up in Mormonism. Um, you get mixed messages, right? You get the idea of if you go looking for it, you can find plenty of context in reading material that helps you understand that the theological belief that Jesus was born on April 6th, for instance, 
has no historical backing. Like, like the way we formed that doctrine was misplaced and it simply isn't true. And yet you have leaders in the official venues of the church still at times getting away with saying that and not having to be held accountable to the idea that that's not the case. You have the idea that the, that believing Mormons generally have been taught this idea that when they die, they're going to go into heaven and get their own planet and they will be a god with their spouse over this planet and that they will populate this planet with, with their children just as God populated earth with his children. And yet the LDS newsroom, which the average believing member is completely unaware of these statements, has stated that that's just a caricature of Mormonism. That's not an accurate belief. Like no one should minimize our beliefs down to such a kind of idea that, that what we believe exaltation is way more complex. And yet the average membership uses that phraseology all the time. Like, like the church wants to blame the media for saying that kind of theological belief that Mormons hold, when in reality it is the average believing member who holds that belief. Um, ideas behind whether certain parts of scripture are figurative or literal, like you'll get some push and pull from various segments of the church. And again, the orthodox message in official channels will be one idea. And then if you get outside the official channels and start reading, you'll also see that the church makes statements out there in the ether about some of these things as well that gives you a much different uh, framing for whether something is figurative or literal. And sometimes you'll see the church just give a multitude of concepts so that they don't have to be held to any one. And you see this in religions as well, where you might give five answers and none of those are good answers, but by having five answers, anytime someone points at any one of those five and says, this one's a problem, you can say, but yeah, we have these other four. And then if five minutes later, someone comes along and points at one of the other four, then all you have to do is say, well, yeah, maybe that one doesn't work, but look at these other four pointing back at the one you just pointed away from. And, and in Mormonism, you find this even recently in the LDS gospel topic essays with the book of Abraham. So if you go to LDS.org, you look for their book of Abraham translation gospel topic essay, uh, a little Google search. It should be one of the first ones that comes up. And essentially the translation of this scriptural text is deeply problematic, deeply problematic. And what the church has done in this essay is they've offered five solutions. I believe there's actually five solutions in this essay, right? There's a missing scroll. There's a catalyst theory. There's, and, and it would take hours to explain the book of Abraham conundrum, but simply for the purpose of this episode, recognize that I'm stating personally and, and many others believe the translation of the book of Abraham is deeply problematic. The church comes along and writes an essay trying to help members who are discovering this conundrum to walk away putting this back together and having some sort of faithful approach. And more importantly, probably the main purpose of the essay is to take someone who is still in full believing mode and just say like, there's nothing to see here. Let's move along. And in this essay, the church offers five solutions. If you take any one of those five solutions all by itself, 
It is deeply problematic. So what the church and its apologists do is anytime you point at any one of those five solutions, like if you say, let's pick one and let's hold to that as the answer. Every one of those is deeply flawed. And the church and its apologist would then point away from that one and point to the other four. But the issue is if we take any of those other four, they're deeply problematic. And what the church will do is if you pick one of those other four, and what its apologist will do if you pick one of those other four, is then point back to the other four and say, yeah, sorry, that one doesn't work so well, but but there's these other four answers, and that will include the answer that they pointed away from the first time. And it's this kind of deflection and ambiguity that doublespeak allows an institution and the defenders of it to essentially hold deniable plausibility with the issue in its entirety, never having to really dive into any one answer and acknowledge like, yeah, sorry, that doesn't work. And that has really deep repercussions for the way in which we formulate this part of our theology. And you, you'll find the church does this on polygamy, whether Joseph had sex or didn't have sex with these women. Uh, you'll find this on the first vision. Like, is the 1832 account really, uh, does it really blend with the 1838 account or is it really saying that something different occurred? And let's be kind of ambiguous and let's kind of have some double speak on the idea. Whether there's, whether the Native Americans are the people of the Book of Mormon, or whether the Hawaiians are, or the Mexicans are, or the Poly, any other Polynesians, or, you know, any time we run into an issue in Mormonism, and I would argue in any religion, that is theologically damaging, deeply problematic, and also foundational to that church's beliefs, that religious system will figure out some way to be ambiguous, to have doublespeak, to allow multiple views, but never ever allowing itself to be held to any one because any one of the views is problematic and compels the religion to reformulate its theology on that issue, which it doesn't want to do. The only time religions do this is when they're back into a corner and they have no choice. When things have gotten so bad, that people are, more people are leaving at such a rate that it is going to be severely damaging to the faith, that they can't hold that ground anymore. So, for instance, Mormonism teaches that the city of Enoch was just ripped up out of the earth and taken into outer space. The reality of our modern understanding of the world is that that's all, that's pretty much absurd. I wanted to say almost to give some credibility to it, but, but it's, it's absurd. It's, it's not, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it would have made sense in that day and age when people believed in a three-tier universe. But in today's world, a, a chunk of earth with a city on it being taken up into outer space is absurd. And, and yet Mormonism will hold the story that this happened, but Mormonism will not address the, the rationale of how that's even possible in, in our modern world. And in some ways we'll leave it open for folks to believe that's figurative, but never having their feet held to the fire on the issue by simply 
avoiding any kind of discussion of it. And so as you look into your religion and you see doublespeak and you see the reasons why it would be used, you can see that it's, that it has a purpose. It serves a purpose. It keeps more people not knowing exactly where the church stands, but also many of them believing they know exactly where the church stands. And that by having both those competing thoughts, you can appeal to a larger multitude of members of your church and reduce the speed at which people distance themselves from your faith. And so hopefully that's been informational. I hope this has made sense. But to recognize that as we, as we sit within our religious institutions, to see these mechanisms for what they are and that the best thing we can do as critically thinking folks, people who are, who are looking at reason, rationale, logic, while also still trying to maintain some level of faith in, in spiritual life to, to see the mechanisms for what they do, but not to get caught up within them. And all of us do it. All of us both carry out as well as fall culprit to these mechanisms. But the more we can become aware of them, and the more we understand how they're used, the more we can see them for what they are and not not get caught up within them. This has been the Cognitive Dissidence Podcast. And to be perfectly frank, there have been times when members or leaders in the church have simply made mistakes. There may have been things said or done that were not in harmony with our values, principles, or doctrine. Brothers and sisters, stay in the boat. Use your life jackets. Hold on with both hands. Avoid distractions. Give Brother Joseph a break. Some have asserted that more members are leaving the church today and that there is more doubt and unbelief than in the past. This is simply not true. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has never been stronger. How can homosexual members of the church... First, I want to change the question. There are no homosexual members of the church. Questions are honored, but opposition is not. I think we'd also have to be honest. There may be some of these questions that there is no answer to. Yes. Those will, I think, be the ones we avoid. Doubt your doubts. 